So in five, four, three, two, one, and we are live. Welcome to another episode of the Nobody Yet podcast. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by Colin, someone who I met literally just a minute ago. Why don't you introduce yourself? Because I know nothing about you. Well, thanks so much for having me, Eric. My name is Colin Mitchell. I graduated from Acadia in 2019, and I am an aspiring storyteller. My goal in life is really to bridge people's ideas and their stories, to create something. And storytelling typically is about you know, bringing, telling things that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. But I don't see storytelling that way. I see storytelling as the opportunity to create something for the future. And it's always been something I've been passionate about. It's always been something that I think I've been okay at. I've always loved very disparate things like cooking, Lego, and politics. And yet mm-hmm. all of them, they're all about bringing things together that might seem odd by themselves. But coming together, you create a story. You create something that people can rally around and something that right. can be used for the future. Right. No, of course. Like The whole concept of storytelling is... Just being able to rally people, like you said, build that community of people who all maybe want to pursue something or like kind of what this podcast is about. Or if you think of other brands in general, like if you think, let's take Nike, for example, right? The whole story of oh, how anyone could be an athlete and how they show that and how they design that through their marketing or their products um, all form kind of one central theme that they could really work on and really inspire everyone else. So storytelling, this is pretty, this is sick. Like, so for those listening, like you don't understand, I literally just met him a minute ago and I know completely nothing about um you at all so i guess so storytelling and how are you trying to pursue i guess your interest in storytelling so i'll give you a little background about myself Mm -hmm. so i was born and raised in beautiful vancouver british columbia and when it came time to pick universities i initially wanted to go to the Mm -hmm. uk my dad had gone to oxford and i've always idolized my dad i figured well i may as well give it a kick at the can Mm -hmm. the finances wouldn't have worked for undergrad but i went with my mom to take a look at a couple of schools around the Maritimes. Mm -hmm. And I happened upon this little place called Acadia. And little did I know that this would be the best decision that I ever made, moving to the small town of Wolfville, Nova Scotia, which grade 12 Colin thought was the absolute middle of nowhere. The best decision of my life. My first two years Mm -hmm. at Acadia, I was in War Memorial House, otherwise known as Barracks, and I had the absolute time of my life. I think the biggest reason I love Acadia and still do love Acadia is that you have the ability when you come here Mm -hmm. to create things that they don't exist. And you don't have that same ability at larger schools like Dal, UBC, McGill, U of T, what have you. Things are already set in motion. It's really hard to stand out. But in the small, wonderful community of Wolfville and the Acadia University community in particular, I had the opportunity to really take in and participate in local life, but also tell people's stories in a diverse fashion. So in my first year, I started the Humans of Acadia Facebook page. The whole idea idea behind that was I saw a disconnect between what the university was portraying on social media Mm -hmm. and the lived experiences of people in the town. I said, let's cut the bullshit. Let's get straight to people and hear what they have to say. My Siri is on. (laughs) (laughs) i was like i was like oh i I thought i heard that um sorry about that but no no i i took the opportunity to wander around wolfville ask people about their lives their stories 
And by the end of my fourth year, I had done over a thousand hours of interviews, taken 300 pictures and reached 25,000 people across Facebook. And that was really special to me. Mm -hmm. And it was made possible by the wonderful Acadia community. And storytelling is, yes, the literally taking pictures and posting people's stories, but it's more than that. So I studied politics at Acadia. I graduated with an honors degree in May of 2019, and I took part in local political life. So I ran for various positions within the Students' Union. I served mm -hmm. as Arts Senator and Board of Governors Representative with the idea of bringing people together. And it's not just about you know, doing this for the resume or doing this mm -hmm. because it looks good or you're going to meet cool people, but actually because you can build something in the long run. I had aspired to run for Students' Union President, but that was derailed. I worked at the United Nations one summer instead, and mm -hmm. I don't regret that, but I do wish that I had more of an opportunity to implement my ideas. But again, storytelling is about bringing people together around a common idea, a common theme, and something that you can really rally the community around. I'll give you one more quick example. Um, mm -hmm. My big thing in my third year at Acadia was the sub. Our sub, as it is, sucks. It is a relic of the 70s, relic mm -hmm. of the 60s. It is too cold in the summer, too hot in the winter, and it does not serve as the campus living room that it should. If you look at other students' union buildings around Canada, you'll see that they actually bring people together in engaging, fun, interesting ways. So I said, why can't we do that? The university is raising $75 million. Why can't we say, all right, we want a piece of the pie. Here's exactly what we want. So I did a year's worth of research. I did many and many an interview. Um, I put my ideas to paper and wrote for the, uh, the student's newspaper, which I was the editor-in-chief of in my last year, the AF. Mm -hmm. And in the updated Acadia 2025 strategic plan, the university has said, yes, we need to prioritize rebuilding the Students' Union building. And that was a really solid, it was a win, honestly. It was a really solid affirmation of my years of advocacy, having pushing for, been pushing for an enhanced student experience and having a solid campus living room here at Acadia. But going back to the original point in a long-winded sort of fashion, <laughs> storytelling is about bringing people together around important ideas. And I hope to do that in the future in some political form, one way or the other, but that remains to be seen as to how. Yeah, so you mentioned the Facebook page, you mentioned even work at the UN, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but we talk about storytelling a lot. How did you first get interested in storytelling? Um, I know exactly, like I remember me, it's all, I always thought of, wow, all these celebrities talking about their stories. How about normal people? I think that was my logic when I'm doing nobody yet. How about for you? So I guess, how did you first get the inspiration for general storytelling and then um, the Facebook page and then your other pursuits? So I've always been a very talkative person. Mm. Um, I, was the, I was the child that was very hard to shut up at the dinner table. Mm. I would go, yap, 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 mm -hmm. because I loved talking to people. And I still do. I am fascinated by people's stories, their ambitions, their dreams, and just learning more about the world around us. And this all kind of, it's, it's always been kind of ingrained in me, actually. I've just always been interested in other people. I've always wanted to tell stories. I, I say to my girlfriend time and time again, if I weren't going and working in politics, I would 100% go and work in the movie industry. Because mm -hmm. the ability, again, to actually literally tell stories and create whole worlds and bring actors together in disparate parts of the world to tell an incredible story, that would be cool too. But <clears throat> regardless, 
the ability to tell stories and the ability to bring people together to make a positive impact in their lives, I think that's the most important bit for me. Knowing that you're actually changing someone's, if not their life, then their experience, or at least something small to make their life, Mm -hmm. or at least your legacy, a little bit better. So you leave something tangible that's beneficial for future generations behind you. Yeah, and did that inspire, I guess, your selection of pursuing politics um, as, let's say, your university major? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've always been interested in rules and institutions in Mm -hmm. Canada. I've always had a passion for Canadian history, um, for just politics of the day. My oft-used analogy is um, in grade six, this would have been 2008, Mm -hmm. during the then-Canadian federal election, I was all of 11 years old, and I was kicked out of class for being too talkative about the upcoming federal election. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, 11-year-old Colin knew so much about Canadian foreign policy that I had to be (laughs) screaming across the room. (laughs) And I I was thrown out of class, but that was the the beginning, I think, for me, of my interest in the Mm -hmm. world at large. I've always known that I want to make a difference somehow, whether that's in a policy role or political role, a journalistic role, whatever, again, remains to be seen. But I've always known that I want to get involved in that. And Acadia presented the perfect opportunity for me to do that, where the small community, small class, intimately mm-hmm. connected, gave me the opportunity to pursue a large swath of interests from debate club to model UN to this university newspaper to creating Humans of Acadia and creating the photography club Mm -hmm. and whatever. Again, Mm -hmm. this is a community that really fosters the idealism in people that is often so rejected or so squashed in other major institutions around Canada. So I'm very, very grateful to have spent my four years here. I just finished a master's in international relations and politics from the University of Cambridge in the UK. Mm And now I'm very, very fortunate to be back here. So now, so now you're back in BC, I'm assuming? I'm actually back in Wolfville, believe it or not. Okay, so back in Acadia. Back in Acadia. COVID Happy. had wreaked <laughs> havoc on plans left, right, and center. And I am now working for our member of parliament, Cody Blois. Uh, that mm-hmm. ha- I was very, very grateful to ex- be able to work for... A- let me go back real quick. So in January 2019, long-time member of parliament and uh, cabinet minister Scott Bryson resigns. And he's the member of parliament for this region, King's Hands, mm-hmm. like right. combining King's County and Hans County. And the seat was vacant for a while. And this then 28-year-old uh, Halifax Mooseheads goalie turned lawyer said, hey, I want to run for it. I see his announcement on Facebook and I say, well, I, I'll message him. I'll see what happens. So I say, hey, man, I'd love to work for you. Uh, And then nine months later, he wins the election. And a year and a bit later, as I'm applying for jobs left, right, and center after Cambridge, I think, well, the other opportunities I had been pursuing wouldn't uh, hire me. There just wasn't enough money going around. Obviously, COVID kind of shrunk Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. And I was very, very honored to accept a position in his office here in Wolfville, working in the constituency. I'm really grateful to be employed when so many of my classmates are struggling and when so many are unemployed and actively looking for work. Ah, uh, so that's the connection. Okay, that's, I see. So you mentioned BC, so I was like, okay, I see the BC flag in the background. So I'm like, okay, he's probably in BC right now. It's like 2, 2 p.m. over there. Okay, got it. But no, you're more I did not expect that. Also, Cambridge, I also didn't expect it either. Like, you know, I came in 
without knowing anything. So, okay. So let's go back all to beginning. So we're, we're like jumping rocks here. <laughs> <laughs> Left, right, and center. That's what we're doing. Um, so you enter, you enter Acadia first. Um, when was mm-hmm. the, the humans of Acadia? Was that like third year, second year? First? That was actually my first year. That was your first In year. January of 2016. Uh-huh. And okay, so you talked, you said that you just talk to people. So is it literally just meeting people on the streets and be like, hey, you seem cool, let's talk. Like, how would you set that up? Because for me, like sometimes I'm an extrovert, mostly I'm an introvert, but I cannot imagine myself like doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and honestly, neither could I. When I first started, I was mm-hmm. so intimidated. I would literally shit my pants be like, oh my God, I have to go talk to these people. <laughs> I don't know them. Sometimes mm-hmm. people were like, fuck off, I don't want to talk to you. But other times people were, would spill their whole life story. So what I would do is I'd have my trusty little Nikon uh, D3300 and I would walk up to somebody and say, excuse me, do you have a minute? I run a Facebook page called Humans of Acadia and I was wondering if I could take your picture and ask you a question. Some people say yes. And then the conversation really varies depending on how much people are willing to share, if they're stressed or they're busy, whatever. Some people say no and I just wander off licking my wounds and find somebody else. Uh, But the big questions that I ask when I first wander up to people are one of two. It's either, what are you struggling with right now? Because that really does tell okay. a lot about a person. Mm-hmm. Or, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be and why? And both of those are really solid ways to segment or segueing into people's stories and what makes them who they are, what, what makes them tick, what makes them think, etc. And again, I've been so, so lucky to be the curator of this page, at least for a little while. I, I stopped doing it in May of mm-hmm. 2019 after I graduated from Acadia, but it was an absolute privilege. And I got to meet so many interesting people, hear yeah. so many cool stories, d- do and see so many cool things. And it's the kind of experience that I wish more people had or that more people took right. the initiative to start or begin just because there's so much to be learned by popping outside of your bubble. No, exactly. Like, especially I feel like for me, like in university, I was always in the engineering community because that's what engineers do. You live in the engineering community, right? And very rarely right. would, I see, would I talk to uh, like business kids, albeit even like kids in politics, just anyone outside of engineering. But now it's just like meeting new, these new people is like, wow, these are so many new experiences that I could never experience in myself, like in myself, unless I actively jump out aggressively outside the circle. Um, which is getting increasingly easier to do as I age, but um, really? this, is, this is something pretty cool, especially like your experiences, you talking about politics, your love of storytelling. Like I haven't met anyone, at least you're my first person I met in politics, first of all. Um, and then probably someone, probably the most passionate person I met in storytelling who just loves telling stories. I just have not met that many people, I guess, in that realm. So for me, this has been like something super interesting. Oh, I'm glad to be an introduction to interesting things. <laughs> introduction to interesting things. Okay, so humans of Arcadia in first year. And then you mentioned internship at UN. How does that work out? So do you just like apply or what was your thought process there? So for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a diplomat. Mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to work in the Canadian Foreign Service. And I thought, well, what better way to test this than by actually doing it for a bit. So I applied for an honor summer research award here at Acadia. I Mm -hmm. tooled my thesis to be something about 
um, an international organization, got the money, which was good. And I figured, okay, now I need to actually make it the second step. I was very lucky in that I had a connection who gave me a hundred email addresses and he said, good mm-hmm. luck. So I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll send a hundred emails. I, and 99 did not reply, but one did. And we sat down, okay. we had an interview and she said, I'd love to have you. The hitch was, it was an unpaid internship, but lucky for me, I had Acadia supporting it. So I went to Geneva in Switzerland for the summer of 2018. And I was mm-hmm. there for four months working at the United Nations Broadband Commission, which is the UN's commission on internet, basically taking a look at how is connectivity doing? What are some challenges? What are some opportunities? How can the public sector and the private sector work together? It was really cool. I was so lucky to take part in that. Um, you know, the robot Alexa, the well, not Alexa. Oh my God. Uh, Sophia, Sophia, you know the robot Sophia? She's got like the oh, bald head. Yeah, yeah, she said that she wanted to destroy like all humanity or something like that, right? Was that one? Yes, yes. Yes, okay. So I got to meet her, which was really cool. Oh, that's uh, sick. One yeah. of the first events was a conference on artificial intelligence for good, sponsored by the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really interesting seeing uh, the company that produced Alexa, but also other AI companies like a language company that's based in Seoul, South Korea that uh, creates this language app that helps rural uh, South Koreans learn English. And it's very interesting because that was tailored based off of machine learning and artificial intelligence to adapt specifically to the rural framework of South Korean education, which is really, really interesting. And uh, there were a whole swath of uh, crazy individuals that I met who were just so (laughs) passionate, so dedicated, it was a really exciting opportunity. I figured out uh-huh. that in the UN, there, there are two kind of parallel systems. There's the uh-huh. internationally appointed stream, the international civil servants who yeah. work for the UN, the parent organization of the UN Broadband Commission, which is the International Telecommunication Union. Fun mm-hmm. fact, it's the world's, inter- the world's oldest international organization. Mm-hmm. And then there's the nationally appointed stream. There are those who are appointed by their host countries and who more often than not call the shots. So I realized doing my summer there that I didn't want to work in that while I was young, just because you didn't have as much respect and as much clout to actually get things done. Right. So I, after that summer, I resolved, well, I want to come back to Canada. I want to get involved in provincial or federal politics. And then in the future, make a jump to the United Nations. What was it like living in Geneva, Switzerland? Like how, how big of a change was it going from uh, Wolfville, is it, Arcadia? all the way to Europe and Mm -hmm. Switzerland. So lucky for me, I had previous experience in Switzerland Mm -hmm. and traveling around Western Europe. So it wasn't a whole lot of a culture shock. I was very ready to go out and explore. I lived with this uh, Polish massage therapist named Ila and her lovely little tabby cat named Fido. And we lived right opposite the airport um, in Geneva. So Gene- uh, Switzerland was kind of shaped like a croissant or like a boomerang yeah. kind of. And yeah. Geneva's in the very bottom left corner. Mm-hmm. So literally, as soon as the airport runway ends, you're in France. Or on the other side of Switzerland, as soon as the ski run ends, you're in Italy. So it was a very interesting time living there. Um, the prices are astronomically high. Um, in Geneva, it's n- known to be one of the most expensive cities in the world. I can only imagine. And... The chocolate was incredible. <laughs> the chocolate, <laughs> the bread, the pork, all of the state subsidized industries yeah. were phenomenal. I could buy a kilogram of chocolate for the Canadian equivalent of $11. It was insane. 
but <laughs> I had it, it was a lot of fun. I got the opportunity mm-hmm. to explore a lot of Geneva. Uh, it's very it's a very corporate town, very government town. So you have yeah. the touristy bit, you have the international bit. So all the UN agencies, uh, the Red Cross, uh, inter- uh, international Red Crescents, um, other mm-hmm. institutes like that. And then you have the more residential side that kind of was built in the 60s. But I also got to visit parts of France as well, um, Annecy, which is a lovely historic town in the southeast of France. Um, La Salève, which is a big mountain that you can climb quite literally 100 meters across the Swiss border on the French side. And it has a fascinating history behind that when Germany occupied France and was threatening to invade Switzerland. But that's a story for a different time. It's worth Googling if you're interested in World War II history. But beyond that, Switzerland was an incredible experience. It's very international. So I know a good amount of French. I'd say I'm an intermediate level, but I didn't have to use much of it just because it's, it was such an international city. Everybody spoke English. But it was an incredible uh-huh. experience, and I'm really, really thankful for it. Yeah, no, when you mentioned Switzerland, I was like, immediate, I'm like, okay, how's the chocolate there? <laughs> what is that like, cro- croissants? But, I mean, you already got there before I did. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, Switzerland? Chocolate. That's how much, like, how less I know about Switzerland. I feel um, just, I haven't traveled that much. I was supposed to go to, like, Vancouver. Actually, BC, funny enough, this summer, and then COVID hit. Hey, so, oh, no. Oh, yeah, man. So. The great derailer of plans, eh? Yeah, exactly. COVID's just like, oh yeah, you have summer plans. Just kidding, you don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just oh, I like, feel that in a deeply spiritual level. Believe me. Right. Yeah. No, because you're at Cambridge so now, graduating. So Cambridge, you said you graduate from masters already. Yeah. So that's a, that's a bit of an interesting bit mm-hmm. in and of itself. But short form, yes. Unofficially, I have graduated. Officially, I have not yet graduated. But I'll give you the quick lowdown on that. So um, at the end of my time at Acadia, I was like, what do I want to do? And I figured, well, I want to do a master's in international relations. This is just what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about international organizations and Canada Mm -hmm. working within them and creating a global order that's beneficial for people. And I applied to a couple of schools. I'd always been interested in Oxford. My dad had gone there way back in the 80s. And I was like, all right, I'm going to apply. I applied for the Rhodes Scholarship Mm -hmm. at Acadia. And I made it uh, to the nomination stage, but wasn't given in an interview, alas. So I figured, well, I'll try Cambridge instead. And lucky for me, they accepted me. I was astonished. I did not think that would happen. I thought I was going to go to U of T and do their Master's of Global Affairs. But I made it to Cambridge. I was placed in one of the newer colleges. So colleges in Cambridge, there are 31 Mm -hmm. of them. And they kind of work like residences, except the residences with their own accommodation and meal plan and societies and a whole slew like facilities and a whole slew of other governing structures and and mm-hmm. and and the college i was placed in was the, the newest one built in 1977 for comparison the oldest one was built in 1209 oh, so okay. a bit of a bit of a disparity <laughs> yeah. uh, and a i met I met a ton of really interesting mm-hmm. people. I some of my friends included like a Canadian lawyer, um, a Brunei a Bruneian international relations student, uh, German computer science students, um, a Belarusian conservation ecology student. Uh, there's just there's no shortage of diversity and interesting people. And being in such an intellectual hub like Cambridge was absolutely fascinating. I had the privilege of debating on the floor of the Cambridge Union as well, mm-hmm. which is the world's oldest debate organization that was a lot of fun i got to denounce american imperialism 
uh, that was pretty cool. And I had the opportunity to explore a bit. We made trips to London and everything, uh, but the academics were very interesting as well. So I uh -huh. was doing a master's in international relations and politics, and I focused my dissertation on the evolution of Canadian foreign policy at the UN Security Council. Mm -hmm. Short form, the UN Security Council is the executive of the organization. Yep. They're the ones who can declare like an international war on people or levy sanctions or mm -hmm. the, the big kind of, the big ticket items. And it was a big year, at least this year, because Canada was up for election. And I wrote my thesis, I did my interviews, and I came to the conclusion that Canada is not going to have it easy, we'll probably lose. Lo and behold, we did. So a little bit vindicated there. But I uh, was actively looking for opportunities in Canadian foreign policy afterwards. And now, working for a member of parliament, I have much more of an opportunity to affect the, or at least work to better the lives of the people that live here in King's Hands in Nova Scotia. Uh -huh. oh, so we mentioned Cambridge. So Switzerland, Cambridge, Wolfville, I guess, between Cambridge and Switzerland, you also mentioned that Switzerland was pretty, pretty diverse in the sense of it's, you're right beside France. Um, over the mountain peaks is Italy. I guess what was the differences like between your experiences at Switzerland, albeit it's only four months, versus maybe two years at um, Cambridge? What was the difference like between those two? Well, believe it or not, my experience was actually only six months at Cambridge. They break ah, it up okay. into uh, three three-month terms, and I mm. only got the first two. The, the final term, which was supposed to be the fun one of rowing and garden parties and museums and history, mm. was cancelled. So I spent the preceding five months living with my parents back in Vancouver. But um, mm -hmm. the biggest differences, I would say, are that, are that there's the characters of the city in general, because mm -hmm. Geneva is a very corporate city. It has yeah. a, a very long history, as many cities in Western Europe do, but it is much, it's a government town. And as a result, you have a large population of people coming and going. You have the international organizations there that are mm -hmm. always serviced by a wide variety of international civil servants or the national appointees. Mm -hmm. And you have the locals who are trying to cater the business of the city to the, uh, those who are passing through. So you'll have the really quality restaurants and the really quality chocolatiers mm -hmm. in Geneva. A, a exceptional chocolate, by far and away, some of the best <laughs> chocolate I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. And then you get the, the tacky restaurants that charge you way too much for way too little. Or the, you, you try to speak French at, uh, at a oh my god, liquor store, and they automatically revert to English because they know that by your clothes you're a tourist or you're not from Switzerland. Cambridge was different in the sense that it was a very intellectual city. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very stratified, though. That's the thing. So you have like the historic core, which is the old churches and the colleges, and you it's like Hogwarts in the middle. It's yep. what you imagine Hogwarts to be, like the winding roads and the cobblestone path. But as you make it further out, you see that there's a lot of disparity in terms of just socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. um, there was a story in January, uh, January 2020, about how a homeless woman gave birth to twins in front of the richest college at Cambridge, which has an endowment something like two billion pounds, which is the Canadian equivalent of like almost 3.7 billion, yeah. which is insane. But that highlights the, 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 the wealth gap the disparity. and the need to bridge yeah. that in particular. So Cambridge was very interesting in that respect. You have this, the inner center, which is the, the posh, fascinating, intellectual uh, powerhouse, if you will. And then you move further out in the city and you realize that this isn't the, the reality of the entirety of the town. 
Uh, so it's like very centralized within, I guess, the university, and then everything else is more just like a small town sort of vibe. Ish, yeah. I mean, Cambridge itself has the, a population of about 140,000, I think. So it's right. comparable in size to like Halifax or Victoria, the capital of BC. I'm trying to think of Ontario cities. I think Hamilton maybe might have a Hamilton, comparable maybe. population. Maybe. maybe. But yeah, the, the, the idea is there that it's, it's a small city, but it does, feel, it does feel like a city as compared to Wolfville, which is very much like a town. But Geneva as well was a major city there in that it played a large global role in terms of um, negotiations for, for instance, um, during the negotiations, excuse me, <laughs> around the Iran deal uh, mm-hmm. in like 2014, 2015, 2016, a large part of those negotiations took place in Geneva, right across the street from where I was working. So movers and shakers go there. The, the saying was that you go to New York for the headlines and you go to Geneva yeah. for the actual work. Oh. Okay, that makes a little more sense. That would have been sick, though. Like, imagine working at the UN. I know you're in, I guess, wireless or like some sort of internet. Um, but like, imagine interning and then you being in the same building of them, like trying to hash out their Rand deal. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Just being being in that proximity yeah. to all that history and everything was an incredible experience, and one for which I am again so so thankful. It it did mold my perspective in realizing that I don't want to be a diplomat just yet, but I want to mm-hmm. serve the Canadian public in whatever capacity I can at, while I'm young, while I have that energy and tell those stories to the best of my ability. Yeah. How did, okay. Yeah. How did, I guess your story develop or your storytelling um, or your perspective on storytelling evolve and change as you went to first Switzerland. Um, and then of course, coming back, finishing your bachelor's um, in. Mm-hmm. It's slipping my mind. Why am I okay? In Wolfville, um, and then in <laughs> there you Cambridge. go. There you go. Yeah. So, I guess the idea itself has never really changed. It's been mm-hmm. like Hillary Clinton had this maxim that sort of premised on her faith: do all the good you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can. And something similar in my head has always existed that I it is incumbent upon me because I'm incredibly privileged and have had opportunities that some people just dream of to do all the good that I can, as often as I can, for as many people as I can. And storytelling, again, is about bringing people together around an idea. Mm -hmm. It's bringing people together around a common goal and crafting, not only crafting a narrative, but crafting a movement and crafting a vision that people can really get behind. So in the case of the uh, UN Broadband Commission, our big project was the State of Broadband Report. So every year, the commission which is really just like five people, comes together and they go over national broadband plans. So every country's uh, plan for internet and broadband rollout, et cetera. And they take a look at opportunities and they take a look at drawbacks and they analyze how is the world doing in connecting Mm -hmm. internet. But not internet just for the sake of internet, but internet for the delivery of health services or business, commerce, um, electronic voting, government, taking part in civil society, protests, things like that. And that story was really important to tell. Mm -hmm. The story of there's more to broadband connectivity than just connecting internet to download video games and watch movies. (laughs) And going forward to to Cambridge as well, uh, the importance of storytelling there, I mean, I was really there at least, I mean, I was obviously there for the education, but I really took Mm -hmm. the opportunity to take the time and soak as much in as I could 
whether it was the architecture, the free museums, because the UK is free museums, which is awesome, or the events going on in the colleges or the people that were speaking, uh, I took the opportunity to be a part of those stories and bring people, or not bring people together, but understand how people have been brought together, for better or worse. One example that I'm actually quite proud of um, at my college, so my college is called Robinson mm-hmm. College in Cambridge, mm-hmm. and we had a shared graduate student residence. It was a lovely little place. We had a shared kitchenette, and one night near the beginning of the term, I realized I didn't have any food. And during the week, <laughs> you have like a common meal hall, I mm-hmm. guess, called the Garden Restaurant. You can eat there, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, but on the weekends, it's closed, so you have to bring your own food. And I realized, oh shit, I don't have anything. So I messaged a couple of friends and I said, hey, why don't we do a communal dinner? Let's get like three or four of us, just bring some food, some wine, whatever, and sit down and have a dinner together. And this gradually spiraled into large, uh, large dinners where we had 30 to 40 people, several tables, an Excel spreadsheet for different courses and wine pairings. And we <laughs> rejigged the lighting to make it mm-hmm. just more amenable. We had the right music. We had shuffling playlists based on the backgrounds of the people who are coming to dinner, whether they're from Egypt or Quebec or Brunei or India or Mm -hmm. um, Honduras or Argentina. And I was really proud of that, honestly, just bringing people together. Like there's nothing that brings people together quite like food. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to bring so many interesting people together over many great dishes, all of which were home cooked, and many, many bottles of wine really says just a lot about the power of telling people stories. And if not telling them, then building stories. By building stories, I mean bringing people together around a common thing. In this case, it was food. And it was, it was an incredible experience. I do wish I had that final term. But mm-hmm. shit happens, COVID happens, and I am where I am now. Yeah, and how, okay, how have you been dealing with COVID? Because, of course, I know a lot of friends too, of course, in the technical realm. I'm just wondering, at least for you, what was it like working through COVID or where were you when COVID first hit? I think that's always the question of, at least I, I remember mm-hmm. clearly where I was, what I was doing, what I was wearing as soon as I heard, yeah, U of T is canceling really? all classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it was like one of those moments <laughs> where I'm like, huh, no exams. Interesting. <laughs> or something like that. It's so. one of those moments that's really seared into your head. It's the kind of thing yeah. that it's very hard to forget. Like I remember I, where I was when Michael Jackson died, for instance. And like oh, yeah. that's up, th- I mean, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan when I was younger, but that's like, it's comparable in terms of those large events. So in January, um, mm-hmm. I flew back to Cambridge and as the term progresses, we sit down for lunch with my mm-hmm. group of friends from college and we keep hearing reports about, oh, this virus from China. Oh, it's making yeah. its way to Iran. It only really became like a big red flag in my head when it really made its out- at debut in Italy. And one of my Italian friends wasn't able to go home because the borders were closed. And I was like, oh, Uh, shit, this could be really real. And that was towards the end of February. Fast mm -hmm. forward to March 14th. My flight was on the 15th. I was uh, slowly scrolling through Facebook. And I was like, okay, this is concerning. I'd phoned my parents the Mm -hmm. day before. I was like, should I fly home early? Uh, Because the university had said, hey, depending on how serious this whole uh, coronavirus things get, this thing gets you might want to take all of your stuff home if you're going home or you might want to hunker down and stay here for a while so i was thinking Mm -hmm. oh shit this they're clearly not fucking around this is quite serious yeah and then i see on facebook that canada has closed its borders and the messaging was very poor at that time because i thought that meant it closed its borders to 
everybody, including Canadians. So I was freaking out in my room being like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I can't go home. I'm stuck in the UK. I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. The message was then very quickly clarified that I could actually make it home. And flying back uh, from Heathrow to Vancouver was very tense. I have never been in an airport that was just shrouded in as much mutual suspicion as I did when I left Heathrow. It was scary. Mm -hmm. It was disconcerting. Everybody was suspicious of one another. Masks at this point had not been yeah, mandatory. Yeah, masks were pretty late. Nor were they in... Mm -hmm. They weren't in wide use, so... There was a lot of tension flying back, but I made it home. I spent my two weeks at home. And then um, about a week into my two weeks of isolation, I got the email from Cambridge saying, hey, so we're classing, we're canceling all classes. They're going to be online. Good luck. Have fun. Adios. So at that point, that started a lot of <laughs> existential dread of, oh, my God, what am I going to do now that I don't have all these opportunities to like meet people and sell myself for whatever kind of position? So I applied to a million and one jobs after that, but the jobs that I had applied to beforehand had all rejected me immediately. They said, well, at least immediately after COVID, saying, yeah. nope, sorry, we don't have any money. Uh, we're not going to be able to hire for at least a year, try in 2021 or 2022. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was a lot of existential panic. I was freaking out. I was thinking, oh my God, what can I do with a politics degree? I am useless. I am unemployable. I can be replaced by a robot. There's no point. <laughs> And I then give myself a good slap in the face saying, shut up, Colin, you're going to be fine. Just relax. Mm -hmm. And I took the time to slow down. I read a lot. And I figure, you know what, I may as well reach out to the guy I campaigned for last year and who won. I gave him a call and I said, look, I would love to work for you if you have any openings. And he said, you know what, we do. And I made the move back out to Nova Scotia with my girlfriend. And I'm here now. And I'm very, very lucky to be here. Yeah, okay. I, I remember, especially the beginnings of COVID, it was like, if you cough, you're done for. Like, the mob was going to get you. So, I remember being Honestly, in the market yeah. and being like, okay, it's kind of allergy, or it wasn't allergy season, but it was like, okay, you need to sneeze? Just don't. Just don't. Just hold everything in. We don't know at this point what the symptoms are. Just just be healthy. Like, that was, that was it. Don't show mm -hmm. any symptoms at all, or you're going to be kicked out of everything. Um, Honestly, yeah. Oh, my God. Times. Yeah, it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And then when you went home, you started reading. So recently, I actually started going to a lot of books too, like starting to read a lot of books about different things. So what was, I guess, on your reading list uh, when, when you got back home um, to BC? So I have always been interested in Canadian history, in mm -hmm. international history, in uh, economics, and in politics. So I figured, all right, if the world is going to go into another Great Depression and leave the class of 2020 like me screwed, I may as well figure out what worked the last time, what didn't work, and so on and so forth. So I read a book on uh, the Green New Deal and how the international mm -hmm. financial system needs to be rejigged. I read biographies on Mackenzie King, who was Canada's World War II Prime Minister, yep. the successful one, many people see him as, on FDR, the American president, on R.B. Bennett, who was Canada's unsuccessful conservative prime minister during <laughs> 1930 to 35. Mm -hmm. He dealt with the depression very poorly. In uh, that's again another historical lesson for another mm -hmm. time um i read a couple biographies by alan doyle the lead singer of great big c an incredible mm -hmm. band that i fell in love with when i moved out here i read uh, jagmeet singh's biography he's the leader of canada's ndp and a very interesting guy uh, i think my favorite book of all of them though was uh, samantha power's biography and mm -hmm. she was the american ambassador to, to the united nations she was born in ireland and was a journalist 
and Pulitzer Prize winner for a book that she wrote on genocide. And mm -hmm. she was appointed to Obama's national security team in 2008 and in 2013 became the first Irish-American-born ambassador to the United Nations. And it was really cool. Just reading about her experiences mm -hmm. and that book, I, I was tacky and then I put a list of all the books I read on Instagram yeah. being like, haha, book one, book two, book, book three. One, book one, yeah, but, book <laughs> <laughs> but her book, honestly, made me want to drop everything and go join the, the Foreign Service. It was titled The Education of an Idealist and mm -hmm. shameless plug for, <laughs> for Samantha Power's biography. It's 100% worth the read. It makes you want to drop everything and really play a part in the world however you can. Samantha Powers, wait, title, is something of an idealist? The Education of an Idealist. Education of Idealist, Samantha Powers, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep a lookout for that book. Like, I'm, like, starting to compile my list real quick, so I'm like, okay, I gotta see what books I need to finish um, now, because I just recently finished Biography of Steve Jobs, so that definitely is also very good. That's a good one. That's a good mm -hmm. one. So no, I, I quite like that. Mm -hmm. I need to jump on the biography train, you know? It's, it's so interesting, <laughs> and I can see how, like, your interesting stories come out through that, because the stories of people is one of the most fascinating topics ever you're just experiencers from all over the world right and how people see things especially mm -hmm. their perspectives right um if they're from different countries different backgrounds or just different lived experiences and how they build and shape their perspectives and how that seeps into the work that they actually do i mean of course seeing its professions mm -hmm. on society if in a good way and in a bad way so that's kind of the whole process of how everything works and in storytelling so it makes everything so interesting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no exactly so okay so now you're in nova scotia um we'll again what has been work like mm -hmm. what has work from home been like um especially working for a member of parliament so lucky for me i actually haven't had to work from home for at least uh the past couple of months ah, okay. just because my first two weeks in nova scotia you have to do the mandatory isolation but after that i've had the ability to go into the office and work with a colleague i worked with last summer and dealing with constituent issues. And it's been interesting. Mm -hmm. It's always a challenge, I will not lie, but it is, every day is different from the previous. So mm -hmm. one day I could be just answering the phones and making sure the emails get responded to. Another mm -hmm. day I could be building a podcast. I started a podcast for our member of parliament called Points yeah. of Order, where he goes mm -hmm. around and interviews people. So I had to very quickly learn, all right, what's the best editing software? What's the best mic? Mm -hmm. Uh, how catchy are they? How can I build the right website, etc.? And that was a lot of fun. I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool people because of it. Um, other times, I'm taking pictures or I'm knocking on doors, which is one of my favorite parts of campaigning. I always, again, I love people. I love learning about people, and there's no better way mm -hmm. to do that than to go knock on their door and say, "Hi, I'm with blank. Of course. <laughs> He's trying to blank." Mm -hmm. It's all like I always dread going to knock on doors when I see it in the calendar and be like, oh my God, I'm going to be tired. It's going to be raining. It's going to be cold. It's going to be like, uh -huh. just a lot of assholes who are just not going to be friendly. But then the second I go do it, uh -huh. I'm like, okay, you know what? This is fun. This is actually like, like why I want to do politics. Yeah. And then there's also the policy stuff, like coming up, writing briefings on contentious issues in the constituency or writing speeches. I got to help write the response to the speech from the throne mm -hmm. for our, my member of parliament, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, it's really being adaptable. That's the biggest thing I would say, is that to work for a member of parliament, one needs to mm -hmm. be adaptable, flexible, stick to their principles more than mm -hmm. anything, mm -hmm. but 
realize that you're, everything that you're doing is in the service of a larger good. You might not be able to see it for a while, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. Okay. And now I'm going to, okay, I'm keeping uh, aware of the time because I know you have a meeting at six. So I'm going to throw one of your questions back at you that you've been asking all this time um, to people. All right. So what is one lesson or what's one piece of advice you'd ask yourself when you're younger? Let's say younger Colin comes up, um, you have a time machine or something, um, you go back and you're, you okay. can tell your 18-year-old self or 16-year-old self, hey, blank, what, what is that blank? If I were to give a don't worry. I've spent so much time, so much unnecessary stress worrying about things that might be, things mm -hmm. that might not be, things that I had no control over, things that were done deals, and not worthy of the stress. I would tell my younger self, don't stress, you are mm -hmm. going to be fine. Everything will be okay. There is no need to unnecessarily panic. Enjoy your life because you only get one. You only get... Mm -hmm one chance at a lot of really cool opportunities, don't pass them up. Mm -hmm. And that's actually like one of the most perfect ending notes. That's like a really good theme for COVID right now. Everything will be okay. Just try to stick to your plan or do whatever you need to do. Just everything will work out okay. That has been one nobody way yet. or the other. Definitely. One way or another, nobody yet. This was Colin. Thank you so much for this, man. Thank you so, 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 so much for listening for the episode of Nobody Yet. Of course, we have weekly episodes every Monday, so you can always expect to find content then. If you're interested, join the Nobody Yet community, you know. Uh, follow us on Instagram, we are Nobody Yet. YouTube, Nobody Yet Podcast. Of course, you'll see visuals there for our podcasts as well as any additional content. And of course, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, just anywhere you can imagine. And of course, if you like what you hear, uh, give us that follow or give that five-star review. We thank you so much for it. And of course, we'll catch you in the next one. Peace.